Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I want to introduce to you um, my good friend, Cherie Shador. She's going to be speaking to us today, and I'm excited for what God has to teach us through her, and I'm excited for you to get to hear from her. So I, I just hope that you're enjoying um, hearing from different voices. Um, I am, personally, and I think it's, it's a great thing in the kingdom of God. So let's, let's go to the Father and pray for Cherie and pray for our, our own hearts as we listen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness that we've seen in your word. And God, I'm just praying for my friend that you would give her wisdom and recollection of all the things she's prepared for us. But God, more than anything, that you just move her out of the way and that you just speak directly to us and you just use her. God, would you help us to apply our own minds as we listen um, and to um, expect to receive something from you. Um, We just want to turn all of that into praise and honor and glory to your name. Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. Is my volume good, Victoria? <laughs> Love my ladies at Table 10 who have prayed me through this. <laughs> See what I mean? They're the best. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to just jump right in and tell a story on myself and my family. Um, our family vacations were like a Charles Dickens' novel. Uh, we thought that they were going to be the best of times, but they could be the worst of times. And uh, our, we really thought that it was because our kids had unrealistic expectations of what the vacation was going to be. So we thought we came up with a great plan to um, try to um, prevent this ungratefulness by making all of our vacations a surprise. So one year we were super excited about this amazing trip that we were going to be taking right before Christmas. And um, during that time, our son had developed an obsession with a toy, uh, uh, Bob the Builder toy, specifically Scoop. And so he was always wanting to go to Target to see this toy and anticipate this toy and just to, um, yeah, have communion with Scoop. So... um, so we used that idea um, to, um, to throw our kids off um, by uh, where we were going to go on vacation by telling them one morning that we were going to go to a really special Target that morning. So when we drove up to this, our son cried out in anguish, you said we were going to Target! <laughs> Just could not believe it. Talk about ungratefulness in the other way. So, but aren't we like kids with God sometimes? Um, as we go through our studies in Hebrew with the keyword of better, we find that our problem is really how are we defining better? Are we defining it through a worldly perspective or are we defining it through a spiritual one? And so, you know, are we, we need to ask ourselves, are we praying for five cents when God wants to give us five dollars? So the book of Hebrews is great in that it's getting us to look at something better. So I'm so honored that I'm able to talk about chapter 10 because um, it's really summing up all of what 1 through 9 has been leading us to. So um, uh, this morning um, we're going to be looking at legalism and lawlessness that the church was tempted to go into versus life in Christ. And when we're living life in Christ, we're going to see that in this chapter 10 that it's really showing us that um, community living is really the outflow of that with church and then with other people. 
So now some of you, like me, when you're looking at the book of Hebrews initially, I was like, you know, I'm just not struggling with going to Judaism, so this just isn't really, you know, clicking and jiving with me. But there are three things that we as humans have in common with the Hebrew church. Um, And that is that all of us as humans were created in the Garden of Eden for perfection. And so we were living in um, perfection, and that's what we're desired that's what we're desiring, and that's what we know that we're going to end up with in heaven. <clears throat> so, um, the first thing of the three things that we have in common with the Hebrew church is that we all want to be loved at different levels and in different ways, and uh, we all want things to go well. We want things to be okay. We want health and um, our circumstances to be okay. And then the third thing is, is that we want significance and purpose and meaning in our life. So isn't this, Victoria made this guy, isn't he so cute? We all just want to take him home, huh? Thank you, Victoria. I guess you call him Flat Victor, huh? So anyways, so the, um, we want our flesh, our perceptions, and our emotions to feel perfect. Um, the author of Hebrews understands our innate desires the author of Hebrews is so cool. It's like, you get us. And um, so he uses the word perfect more times in Hebrews than all of the uh, New Testament put together. So the problem is, is that the sin is causing a separation between perfection and how we're actually living. And so we're always trying to rectify this, um, which brings us to the second factor of human nature. Let me see here. Did I just? Ah, thank you. Okay. Um, Is that um, perfection has been marred, so we're always looking for things to be better um, in life, to make sure that our life is bringing satisfaction. We have phrases like, live your best life now, or be all that you can be. So we're certainly seeing that the word and the concept in Hebrews um, of better um, is really applicable to us. So um, the third concept that we are um, have in common with the Church of Hebrews is that humans don't change unless they have a perceived need. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to convince the church that any other way apart from living through Jesus is a need. And so here's the spoiler alert for the whole teaching, is that Hebrews shows us that Jesus' sacrifice to, uh, brings to us the things that our flesh craves. What we need and what we crave is Jesus. So let's apply these three principles of what we have in common with the church um, of Hebrews um, to the chapter 10. So chapter 10 is a great summary of the book of Hebrews in part because it shows the backstory of the Hebrew church and um, who they were and who they had previously been. So um, in Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, it says, But recall the former days, excuse me, when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had, say it with me, a better possession and an abiding one. So there it is right there. So wow, these Christians were really strong and amazing Christians. Um, and so they, um, why is the author of Hebrews 
telling them and trying to convince them that they need to um, hold fast and have hope and have full assurance, have endurance, be faithful. And you see the word confidence over and over and over again. <clears throat> Excuse me, do y'all mind if I just take some water? <laughs> Thank you, Amy. <clears throat> okay, so... Although the Hebrew church had been doing well and standing strong against hard times and persecution, with time they were becoming wearied, um, and they were emotionally, physically, relationally just getting very tired. And so then they were beginning to question what they believed. So um, I think a lot of times the problem is, is that we as Christians are feeling like we um, shouldn't have struggles because we have Christ. Um, we shouldn't have these negative feelings because we have Christ. Um, but we do have struggles and we do have challenges. And so sometimes we might be tempted to ask God, you know, is God really good? Is he really powerful? Is he really present? Or do I need to change what I believe? Do I need to change how I live my spiritual life? So, um, as Christians who had been believing um, that they should always be experiencing victory, joy, and peace, if you're feeling like you um, hear they have their challenges, so then they're having these hard circumstances. And so, can you all see over there? Um, and so then um, they were starting to maybe feel discouraged about their belief. Look, my hand's shaking. <laughs> and then they're feeling worry, and then they're feeling fear. And so when they're having all those feelings, then they're maybe starting to feel condemnation about how they're living their Christian life and what they're feeling. And then they're having frustration. I shouldn't be feeling this way. So the big thing that they're feeling is doubt. And so um, that's what we see the Hebrew author going over and over about, just telling them to have confidence. So Cassie last week, I don't know, well, in the, the video teaching, she did a great job and she addressed um, doubt. And a lot of the youth are talking about doubt. And as Christians, we do have doubt, and that isn't a wrong thing. It's good to just come forth and understand where our struggles are. But the big question is, is what are we going to do with those doubts? And so are we going to deal with them incorrectly, or are we going to press into Christ? And so we do, the Bible does show us in Psalms to lament and through different parts of the Bible, we see that it is okay to go and, and be honest with these feelings, but it's really where do we go with them? Are you going to go and try to answer those doubts in your own mind? Are you going to go to other people who may not give you biblical instruction? Or are you going to push into Christ with those doubts? And so it's really what coping mechanism are you going to find for those doubts? So um, the Hebrew church was doing what so many of us are tempted to do in that they began to serve their fleshly emotions and their circumstances. And so it was coming up with unbiblical ways to deal with doubt. Um, and so they were tempted to go back to their old religion. And Hebrews 10, 1 through 11 talks about that. Or they could um, maybe come up with some new ways that kind of keeps Christ in there, but just kind of changes it to kind of alleviate their flesh and their emotions. And Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 talks about that. And um, so it's, the, the key is, and the Hebrews 6 also talks about dead works and, and the flesh. And so what we don't want is to be trying to deal with things on our own. So let's talk about the first way. 
life through legalism, which is in the beginning of Hebrews. Um, and so um, this is where um, they're trying to be perfect on their own apart from faith. So let's look at that. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at this service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So if we put that up in, um, whoops, sorry. Okay, there we go, yeah. So dealing with it in our flesh and our emotions, um, substituting the old religion, we see that we can say, you know what, on our own, apart from Christ, I'm not yet perfect. We understand that we're sinners. Um, and so um, there, the sin is in trying to be perfect on your own and saying that Christ is not sufficient. You're trying to make your flesh feel great by going through religious motions or becoming super Christians. And the problem with this is that you're separating Christ from his finished work and you're saying that you can do it on your own. So what we don't want to do is wrongly attach our worldly state, our emotions of not yet perfect, to our spiritual state and saying that spiritually we're not yet perfect. We need to understand those two and say that spiritually through Christ we are perfect. <clears throat> so and here's just a little hint is if we just admit that our flesh isn't good and say that our Christianity is not about our goodness. It's really about Christ's goodness. So, um, Graham uh, Goldsworthy uh, just does such a great job of summing up the whole of the Bible. And he says, the gospel, the first coming of Christ, wins for believers all the riches of glory. The acceptance of the believer is perfect the moment he believes because Christ and his work are perfect. The status of the believer can never be improved upon. He possesses all the riches of Christ. Isn't that comforting? <clears throat> that is a great assurance. So let's contrast that with life through lawlessness. <clears throat> On the other side of the bad coping mechanism of dealing with doubt in our flesh and trying to preserve our flesh and our emotions. Okay, so if we go over here, we might want to kind of change and adapt the way that we believe. And some of that we might call greasy grace, uh, legaliz uh, lawlessness, licentiousness, or even antinomianism. And what we're saying is in our flesh, we're already perfect. Um, whoops, sorry. Um, and so we're saying that you don't need the law. And so it's making the flesh feel great by justifying the self and sin by being covered by grace. And so what you're doing is you're separating Christ from his perfect obedience. Um, and so um, it's where we're saying that the bad feelings in the flesh meant a wrong spiritual life. And that's where we need to understand that your bad feelings don't necessarily have an indication of your spiritual life. So... <clears throat> Um, we can look back at Romans 5, 8 through 9, and we see that this is where you cannot separate Christ from his perfect obedience or from the law. Um, although he was a son, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of salvation to all who obey him. 
And so we see that the law reflects Christ's character. So we need to abide with Christ. And apart from this, um, this would be called the lawlessness or the greasy grace or antinomianism. So we see how critical it is that when we're abiding in Christ, we're entering into his righteousness and therefore Christ's obedience. So we cannot separate Christ from the law. Okay. So um, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 addresses this. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think we will be, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Whew, that's heavy. So are we having fun? Let's go into something more happy. Life through Christ. Okay, so rather than trying to preserve our feeling good in our flesh, Hebrews 5, 5 through 23 calls us to understand that we can find rest from these exhausting emotions and struggles by dying to the flesh and living in the spirit by holding fast to Christ's work on the cross. Okay, so what we want to be doing is pursuing spiritual life through the spirit and not trying to pursue Uh, spiritual life through the flesh. Because the flesh cannot direct the spirit in a good way, but the spirit can direct the flesh. And so um, we need to be um, struggling with our doubts in a a God way, in a God-honoring way. So um, I want to look at, in Life in Christ, uh, Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Now look at this sentence. This is so cool. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If there's any grammar teachers in there, you're going to struggle with this because we're mixing two tenses in the same sentence. But um, so look at those two different grammar tenses um, he has perfected, and then who are being sanctified. So what's up with that? Um, so how can these two different tenses be joined by a single act and say that something currently has an are for all time? So this is the miracle that we're looking at of what Christ has achieved for us. Um, so on our own, we can only attempt the not yet or the already, but we can never be deemed perfect apart from abiding in Christ's righteousness. So we know that we still sin and we're not yet perfect, but under the blood of Jesus, we can be looked upon as already perfect. The Passover is uh, a great example and a visualization of how we're able to achieve this. So the only way that we... Um, the flesh can coexist as the not yet flesh can coexist as the already is under the blood of Jesus. So here we see the the contrast between trying to preserve the flesh by 
um, conforming to our culture or creating a different way apart from the gospel, or allowing your flesh to die and your spirit to live with Christ crucified. And that Hebrews 10, 14 shows that already and that not yet coming together through his work. So this is the cool thing is that when we're abiding in Christ, we're able to enter that rest that the author talks about. And um, then what we have is a communion that happens because Jesus and God and the, the Holy Spirit are all living in this delightful community. And so when we enter into that spirit, we are entering into that delightful community and that abiding. Um, and so through that, as they overflow, Christ's life was lived as an outflow of um, obedience and love and sacrifice for the Father, then when we enter into that, we reflect those same values. And so what we have um, in, uh, whoops, sorry. Um, um, when we're reading in 15, 16, and 17 is we're experiencing the, the fruits of the Spirit, 16 and 17 verses in life in the Spirit. So what we're going to be talking about is life in community um, and reflecting that trinity, that fellowship. So in order to correctly understand what the gospel and Christianity is, we have to first understand that, um, that it was born out of a heart of love. God the Father and Jesus, his son, have a dynamic relationship that's pure and filled with love. So there's this communion, fe communion and fellowship that is a delight. Everything from them is an overflow of this awesome holiness and beauty. So Christ came down to earth to honor and glorify his fathers. His actions came out of a heart and overflow of love. So when we enter into Christ, we're entering into this dynamic love relationship. So the implications for this of entering in, Graham Goldsworthy, again, from Gospel and Kingdom, gives such a great synopsis of this. He says, the gospel is a gospel of man-restored uh, to proper relationships in Christ. The gospel is not simply forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when you die. The gospel is a restoration of relationships between God, man, and the world. The gospel involves us not only with God, but with our fellow men and with the world. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Thank you. So we see that abiding with Christ brings us to more. It's synergistic. It's greater than the parts. Um, so this is a better way of life. And it's more than just behaving. Where so many people think that Christianity is about behaving, we see that when you were really living in that gospel, <clears throat> excuse me, and in that, in the cross, that it's, it's so much more. Oh, thanks for your patience, ladies. Okay, so as we plow through Hebrews 10, right after talking about that communion of abiding, it seems that the author is going to take a jump into what um, he's talking about next. But if we think back on Hebrews 2 and 3, those chapters, it really isn't taking a jump because the author has already set some things, some concepts up. So in Hebrews chapters 2 and 3, we see 12 times that um, the author has said the terms sons, brothers, children, offspring, fathers. You remember all that? <clears throat> and then um, he says um, the term house seven times. 
So I think he's really drilling that concept into us. So it makes sense why the author emphasizes what he does in Hebrews 19 through 25. Okay. So, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Whew, sorry. I don't like to read long text, but this was like so good and so powerful that I couldn't cut anything out. So we're seeing that this unity of family and house is a critical part to our walk with God. Um, and the author is really concerned about them kind of falling away or losing their way. And so he's wanting them to gain confidence. And so what he's talked about is for these believers to really understand individually their own spiritual life and living in the truth of the gospel. But there's another part that's really important to that. And we're seeing here that it isn't just knowing something in yourself <clears throat> and living car compartmentally, but that it is to be overflowing and connecting with one another and um, in community in the church. So um, we see that, actually I'm going to talk about what we would say is our functional theology. How we view and we, what we believe is how we view and act towards ourselves and others. So our theology overflows to our relationships. Does that make sense? So, so, if we're believing a legalistic way and saying, I'm not perfect, then probably you're going to be thinking that about some other people too. <laughs> you're going to be thinking, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, we're all under this umbrella of what we need to do. And so, we're going to focus on our behavior and I'm not good enough, you're not good enough, we all need to be doing this. So what does that bear in our fruit is a lot of judging and condemnation. The fruit of those, um, that relationship is going to have accusations and hurt and frustration, um, fighting and bitterness. Does that make sense? Then if we're saying, uh, you know what, God made me perfect and I'm really perfect and I'm cool, you're cool, we're all cool. Um, then you're going to be denying problems. You're not going to be able to be digging into deep biblical relationships. So what would be the fruit of that? If you're saying, ah, that's okay, we won't really talk about it, we really won't have problems, there's going to be some walls built up, um, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be frustration, maybe if not on your part, on the part of other people. And of course, then there's not going to be trust because you're not really dealing with things and maybe even bitterness. We really need Christ, don't we? <laughs> so, living in Christ, that really shows us that we really do need um, to live in Christ and have a, a biblical understanding. So, when we're able to abide in Christ's sufficiency rather than our human ways, we're able to live in the spiritual balance that is only being able to be achieved through Him. 
so, we're going to have to have a humility, right? And understanding that, you know, we're not perfect yet. Um, but the faith in what God is doing and that he will and already has given us the tools and what we need to walk in a godly way. Um, and 2 Corinthians 4.16 is really encouraging in that it shows that in our flesh we're not perfect, but when we're digging into God and when we're being renewed, that he does renew our spirits daily. And so the fruit of those kinds of relationships that are having that perspective of humility in ourselves and faith in God is that the, we have fruit of deep biblical relationships that overflows with grace. Does that make sense? So loving, sacrificing, serving, encouragement, and faith. Um, faith for ourselves that God is continuing to do a work and faith for other people that he's going to continue to work in them. So, and that contrasts so much versus you know, condemning people or ignoring people and their problems. We need to have faith for other people. So when we're abiding in this community with the Trinity, there's a difference in the overflowing to others that's grace-filled with sacrifice and serving. So, um, a great example of this are these huge giant redwood trees. Has any, have any of you all seen these huge, or I, I know you've seen pictures of them, but um, they're obviously massive. Some of them you can even drive a tree through. And so um, they're enormous in their size and weight, but what's really surprising about these trees is that they have a relatively shallow root system. If you've ever seen a picture of them turned up on their side, it looks kind of like a top hat, that there's this huge tree and then the roots are just going this way because it's so shallow. So how can these trees be sustained in high winds and storm? Guess what? If I can find the right button, I'm learning it. They have a really shallow root system, and you can see all these trees. They're intertwining between each other, and they're integrating. And so this is what our life is to look like as Christians. Um, in hard times, when we're doubting and we're being challenged, we are to be there for one another, holding each other up. This is what um, the Bible is really giving a picture of for us in the church. So we need to know biblical truth for ourselves, spiritually, but also for others. And we need our spirits reflecting and ministering Christ's love. So we are not to compartmentally know Jesus better in our own life, but we're to stand together and hold each other up encouraging and exhorting one another to hold on to our faith. We cannot do this unless we know each other well, unless we're vulnerable with each other and we're nurturing each other in Christ and in love and in his truth and in his ways. So, how? How do we stay in the sweet spot of Christ's sufficiency? So, we have these challenges, we have these doubts in our life. And it's okay to have them and lament as um, David did in the Psalms. But what we do with those is needing to go on to have um, time in the word to make sure that we're biblically sound, to pray, to have meditation, to worship, and to be in communion with each other. Um, Hebrews sets all that up as just all of those are a factor. So that we're renewing every day. And that when we're being renewed, we're having our doubts change to confidence, and we're having our weaknesses change to strength. So when you are experiencing that in these times 
of uh, your scripture reading and your meditation, your worship, and your serving, um, you're going to be experiencing Christ working within you and renewing you. And you're going to realize that you are not going to be dependent on angels, on priests, on prophets, on kings, but you're going to personally experience Jesus better and not be limited by our circumstances. So, when we personally are experiencing Christ, we see that our confidence in Christ sets in and our life of worship flows out to others. So, um, a great example of um, having our challenges not determining our joy Um, Just a story I'll tell you wrapping up and finishing up is I heard the story not that long ago of a theologian that was going to be able to meet a pastor um, that had been imprisoned for four years for his Christian beliefs in having a church. And he was going to be getting out of prison, and guess what he was going to do? He was going to go back to pastoring a church. And uh, so the theologian was so excited because he was there as the pastor was walking out, and his head was spinning with all the opportunities Um, that he was going to have to glean from this man and all the questions that he was going to ask him. And so uh, when the pastor walked out, the theologian asked him to share all that he had learned from his four years of imprisonment. And uh, the pastor just shrugged his shoulders and he said three words, know Jesus better. So... That begs us to ask the question to ourselves, what good is it to know that Jesus is better if we don't know Jesus better? So so let's pray. God, I just thank you that you are better. And I thank you that you have sacrificed and loved and served um, and been obedient to your Father to provide such good things for each of us. And God, I pray that you would just... um, Make yourself known in a greater way and um, build our faith so that we see you in a greater way and um, that we do know you better and we pour our lives out to others. We thank you that this is your will and that you're able to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.